Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. This will be part two of what we began on Tuesday at 1 p.m. when I spoke on five biblical motivations for soul winning. Now, we've established on Tuesday that soul winning is the divine mandate for every believer. I read out of Ephesians 4 how God has put gifts in the church, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher, prophet and apostle, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the training of Christians, of believers. The Bible says, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And then we establish in 2 Corinthians chapter six, uh, chapter 5 what the work of the ministry is. The work of the ministry is to reconcile the world to God through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he said that the foolishness, God has chosen the foolishness of the message preached to save those that do believe. Many a times we've heard this uh, cliche, and I don't like it at all. It's really not biblical, but a lot of people say this. They say that we are to preach the gospel, and if necessary, we should use words. Well, the very word gospel is evangelio in the Greek, which literally means spreader of good news. So there's not, you can't spread good news unless you share the good news. You can't spread good news without telling you something. My wife, when she announced that she was pregnant, she just she didn't just come out and smile, and then I was supposed to guess, and we did like a little guessing game with it. No, she came out, she showed me the test, and said, I'm pregnant. And so that's how good news is spread. It's through your vocal, uh, your vocal abilities. The Bible says that God has sent his, uh, Jesus sent his disciples in Mark 16 to go into all the world and preach. So, I mean, you study the word preach, it literally means a forceful proclamation of a divine truth. That's what it means. The forceful uh, proclamation, in the Greek it's kerygma, which means a forceful and intentional proclamation of a divine truth. And so we established on Tuesday that every believer is born again a soul winner. And has the mandate, the task, and the mission to preach the gospel at any cost. That's what Jesus was saying when he said to pick up your cross. I want you to turn your Bibles. I feel like starting off right there. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. And beginning with verse 34. Let's start with verse 34. When he had called the people to himself with his disciples also, he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him first take up his cross and follow me. And whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... So those people that say preach the gospel and if necessary use words, they're really ashamed of his words. You can't get someone saved by handing hugs out. Jesus said, you have to preach me 
and my word. But whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. It's actually dangerous to not be a soul winner. When you say, I don't want to preach the gospel to people because I'm afraid of what they're going to say about, uh, uh, t- about me or what they're going to think about me, you're in essence falling into that category that Jesus spoke in Mark 8, who are people that are ashamed of Jesus and his word. I want to remind you, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, you want to know why I'm so expressive on my broadcast and I, I look like a raging lunatic every time I come out and I preach on healing and I preach on the gospel and I preach on God's uh, deliverance plan for humanity? It's because when I was at my lowest, when I had no help, when I was hopeless, when man had abandoned me, when no doctor could help me, when medication failed me, when counseling failed me, and I had OCD and anxiety that was plaguing me and oppressing me and like an overwhelming burden crushing me, and I had nowhere to look, that's precisely the time when Jesus Christ saved me, delivered my soul, like that old song says that they sang in Brownsville Revival. He, he healed my body, he touched my mind, he saved me just in time, so I'm going to praise his name. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, I was a vehement opposer to the cross and to Christ. I literally murdered Christians everywhere I went. I had a mandate. I felt like a a responsibility to bind Christians hand and foot, commit them to prison and throw the key out. I had a, a, a vicious hatred for what God was doing. But God, being rich in mercy, he saved me. Paul said, he gave me mercy and grace because I was in I was doing these things ignorantly and in unbelief Paul his track record was so awful it was impossible for him now having been transformed by the gospel of grace to ever be ashamed of the gospel of grace I'm not ashamed of the one that saved me when nobody else could I'm not ashamed of the one that healed me when no doctor could I'm not ashamed of the one that delivered me when no medication and therapy and counseling could I'm not ashamed of this gospel of Jesus Christ because when I was at my lowest no man stood with me nobody stood with me but God stood by me as a friend that sticks closer than a brother when I had OCD and anxiety nobody could give me peace but he said I give you peace not as the world gives such as I give do I give you and because the world didn't give it to you no man can ever take it from you That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. That's why I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because I realized, that's why that woman who was a prostitute, a known prostitute at that, came to the feet of Jesus, broke her alabaster flask of fragrant oil, pours it on his feet, and then uses her hair to wipe his feet. Why did she do that? Why did she put herself in a place of vulnerability where people would look at her and say, what a shameful person. Oh, 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 why is this prostitute out here? Why, why did she put herself in that position? Because she wasn't ashamed of Jesus Christ and what she was doing for him as she wiped his feet with the, with the hair of her head and with the tears. She, just, she, just, she gave him a, a, a foot wash just as a, an act of worship because of everything that she had done that Jesus had forgiven her of. And Jesus said to him that loves much 
To him that is forgiven much will love much. To him that is forgiven little will love little. That wasn't Jesus saying there are people who are really bad sinners and then there's people that are, you know, they're not so bad sinners and that's why they... No, he's saying when somebody understands how much the debt was that we owe to God and what it cost God to redeem us and save us and wash us, when somebody realizes the immense, the immensity of what God did at the cross and how Jesus shed his blood for us, when one realizes how much sins that was uh, on their shoulders, that there was no way out outside of God's grace, lifting up the heavy burden of sin and casting it into the sea of forgetfulness. When someone realizes that they've been forgiven of that much, they will love much. There's a lot of Christians, they say, well, I grew up in church, you know, I was a good kid, I got straight A's, and I gave my life later on to Jesus when I was older, and, you know, I, I, I go to church every Sunday now. That's someone who, who doesn't realize, how, I don't care if you grew up in church or you grew up in a whorehouse. It doesn't matter where you grew up. The fact of the matter is we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Bible says if you are guilty of one matter of the law, we're guilty of the entire law. And it's when you realize that, that I had violated the divine law of the universe and I was worthy of one place and that was hell. But God, desiring not to send me there, made a way where there was no way, opened up the gate of salvation that I might, through Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, now have access to the Father. When you realize that, it doesn't matter if you grew up in church or grew up in, 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 a, in a totally atheistic environment around drug addicts and drug dealers. You realize that, you will love much, and there will not be an ounce of shame in you. Jesus said, now that you realize that, whoever desires to come after me, you realize of what I've forgiven you, now you want to follow me, you have to pick up your cross. What's the cross? People love to talk about the cross being sickness. The cross is not sickness. Jesus already bore our sickness on his cross. The cross isn't depression. Jesus already bore a, a, thorn of a crown of thorns upon his head. The chastisement of our peace was laid on him, the Bible says. The cross is not depression. The Bible says, Jesus said, if you'll keep your eyes on me, I'll keep you in perfect peace. Jesus would not say you need to bear something when he already said, I've removed that thing from your life. He wouldn't, he wouldn't uh, put on you something that he already dealt with at the cross. Jesus isn't about releasing curses on his people. Jesus redeemed us from the curse by the cross so that we can walk in the blessing. So the cross is not the work of the... A lot of people call the work of the devil the cross because for one reason or another, they're having a hard time breaking free from it. And usually it's because they don't have the word on it. And because they're having a hard time breaking free from it, they come up with all kinds of religious excuses to make them feel better as to why, you know, why God's not breaking them out of it right now. I'm telling you, don't mistake the work of the devil with what Jesus said here to bear our cross. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3.8 the, the thief comes not but the steal, kill, and destroy. If it's stealing from you, if it's killing, if it's destroying your life, it, it's from the thief. But Jesus said, I've come to break his work and to give you life more abundantly. However, after that, Jesus says, now pick up your cross. So what's the cross? The cross is the burden we have as believers to carry the message of the gospel to wherever and whoever stands in our paths 
that they might be saved. That's the cross. It's the message of the gospel, which, is, which Paul said is an offense to those that do not believe, to those that are perishing, but to those that are the called, it is the power of God unto salvation. So we have a mandate to keep. We have a mission to complete. We have a gospel to preach. We're not, we're not saved to relax. We're saved to now get to work. We're saved to save. Obadiah 21, verse 21 says, In the last days upon Mount Zion shall there be many deliverers that arise. Deliverers. Little s saviors. The Bible says in the last days, God is going to raise up. Mount Zion is the church in prophecy. And the Bible says in the last days, God is going to raise up deliverers. People anointed with the same thing, that, the same stuff, that same substance that was in Jesus Christ. That power to set men free. And they're going to go throughout the highways and the hedges, lifting others, others out of sin. So... We have, we established that on Tuesday, we have the task, the all-important task to win souls. But today I want to cover seven effective ways or keys, biblical keys that you can be effective. Seven biblical keys that will make you effective in winning souls. Some of you watching right now may not feel a call to full-time ministry. And that's okay. God needs people in every area of society, every sector. He needs anointed teachers, anointed preachers, anointed government employees, anointed teachers in the education system, anointed accountants, anointed businessmen. God anoints people for every sector of society. Daniel was not a preacher. Daniel was a politician in his day, anointed by God to shift the laws of his nation. Joseph was not a preacher. Joseph was a, a steward of a home, Potiphar's home, and then moved on to become a prime minister in Egypt. Uh, you look at Abraham. Abraham was not a preacher. He was a cattle rancher, but he was anointed. God anoints people for every sector of society. However, no matter what God has specifically called you to do, whether it be accounting, landscaping, teaching, God has called everyone. There is a universal call for every believer, and that is to win souls. You might be saying, how can I do that if I'm not called to full-time ministry? Where well, everyone can do something for the gospel. I want you to write that in the comment section. I can do something for the gospel. I can do something for the gospel. I might not be able to do everything, but I can do something. Whether it be the printed media, if God's gifted you to, to write printed media, write a book, write a script, write a little tiny booklet, 30 pages, whatever it is. Maybe you're gifted in speaking. You can do a podcast. You can do a broadcast. You can get up on Instagram Live and literally a free service, totally free, something that uh, guys in the 60s and 70s had to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, millions of dollars actually, every year. Hundreds of thousands. Millions to buy the equipment and then hundreds of thousands to put their, their preaching on television to broadcast it to the world. Now it's free at our fingertips. TikTok. You can get up on, instead of using it just for entertainment, don't let social media use you. Use social media for the proclamation of the gospel. There's too many people that are used and abused by social media. They're glued to their phones and they become dead zombies walking through life, dulled in their mind by, by the overload of information that social media brings to a person. Instead of letting it use you, use it. 
post something that is of value that's going to not entertain but that's going to bring life and transformation to people use tiktok take little bible bible snippets maybe it's a uh, uh proofs that we're in the last days seven proofs go out on tiktok Put list down the seven proofs. Put some fancy spooky music behind it. Watch it go viral and watch God use. We get all kinds of people. You know, I could literally just travel and preach, but I'm using every media that is available to me to get the gospel out because I know the days are getting darker. The return of Christ is nigh. The Bible says it is high time to awake unto our salvation for the day of redemption is nearer than when we first believed. I don't want to be the steward of the home that said my master's delaying his coming I'll work on me for a little bit he began to beat his servants drink and eat and be merry and the master Jesus came at a time where he was not aware of it he came at a time that he was not sensible to sensible enough to realize that Jesus was coming and the Bible says that the master of the home cut his body in two and appointed his portion with the unbelievers he said you wicked and slothful servant I don't want to be that steward I want to be the one that Jesus said blessed is that servant whom when his master will come will find so doing I want to have my hand to the plow and not looking in another direction I want to be doing everything I can with every waking moment of my day to make sure that the one is the one sheep that got away is spoken to here's the gospel has the presentation and invitation that I receive to come to Christ you could do that through TikTok. We get comments all the time. Hey, I, I got we had someone write on my one of my YouTube videos the other day. I got healed of scoliosis. I don't even know the person. Never heard of the person. Got healed of scoliosis right on the spot. I have a friend, Taylor Michael, who, who has a TikTok account. He just started because he just he had an overload of the word in his heart. And he just wanted to share it. So he shared it. He's got 1.8 million followers now. And his average videos are like hundreds of thousands of views. And God is using that to bring people to salvation. It's the days are here where the harvest is going to be accelerated. And God is going to use innovative. Don't be stuck in the box of religion. Well, this is how we've always done it. This is how we'll always do it. This is how it's always been done. God is doing something new. God is doing something new on the earth. Do you think the technology at disposal, at our disposal today was used so that Shakira and, and uh, can shake her hips or whatever? Do you think it's for the Kardashians so that they can let everyone know and keep up with the Kardashians? Do you think it's for... Oh, like wicked people to share their wicked thoughts? No, this technology, this media, God has put, the Bible prophesies in Daniel 12, 4, in the last days, knowledge will increase. That knowledge and technology that's increased on the earth is for us to utilize. For far too long, the church has been so backwards thinking. When TV came out, they, they called it the devil's eye. They stayed away from it. We don't have that in our home. Nobody, no Christians were buying television stations. And what happened? Wicked men bought all the television stations. Imagine if we had CNN's airtime and all that. MSNBC, if Christians owned, we would have been able to control what gets out to the people instead of the wicked stuff that gets out now. But we were backwards thinking. Then you had the computers that came out, phones that came out. And there was always this resistance. And whenever a preacher came out, like Oral Roberts, 
When everyone else was saying the, dev- the, bo- the TV is the devil's eye, the devil's box in your home, Oral Roberts bought a bunch of television equipment and started to air his crusades and his healing meetings towards the entire nation. And because of it, people all across the, the nation and the world got the benefit of what God was doing through Oral Roberts in his meetings at that time. You had a bunch of backwards thinking ministers. I never do that. That's the devil's word. Or Robert said, all right, you think whatever you want to think of it. I'm going to use it to bring glory to God. Jesus, I mean, look, religion has always resisted what God was doing on the earth. Always. You have God the Father in the Old Testament trying to guide the people. And what happens? The Israelites are rebellious, stubborn people. They want nothing to do with God. And there's this constant vicious cycle of ups and downs. They love him, they hate him, they love him, they hate him. Jesus comes in the New Testament. No, 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 we, we reject this fella. We, we're servants of uh, God and we're disciples of Moses. Rejected the, the thing that God was doing on the earth in that day. Jesus dies, goes to heaven, di- uh, dies, raises again from the dead, ascends to heaven. And what do you have after that? The Holy Ghost comes, and what do you have today? Oh, we reject that charismatic movement and the Holy Spirit stuff. We don't speak in tongues here. We're people of the word only and Jesus only people. Religion always rejects and suppresses and resists what God is desiring to do on the earth. Don't be like that. We need to be out where the people are, and we need to do whatever it takes to get to where the people are. You know, Jesus calling his disciples said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Well, what's a good fisherman do? A good fisherman doesn't just cast a hook in. He ain't going to catch anything. When he wants to catch a specific fish, he's got to let out a specific bait. And so he hooks onto that hook, a specific worm or some sort of lure that's going to work for the fish that he's trying to catch. He doesn't just, Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Meaning I'm going to train you. I'm going to train you. To, to be effective in fishing men, in bringing men into the boat of salvation. You know, it's wonderful to get goosebumps in service. It's wonderful to feel the wind of God move in the service. It's wonderful to fall and feel God do something in your life. It's wonderful to laugh in the spirit. It's wonderful to do all those things. But the fire of God is not just for a service. The fire of God is for Christian service. It's to go. It's not to give you goosebumps and let the hairs on the back of your neck stand up alone. It's for something, the anointing. Luke 4.18, Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to what? To have goosebumps. No, to preach deliverance to the captives, to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Hallelujah. You know, Paul, Paul was an addicted soul winner. The early church was addicted to soul winning. The reason why is three reasons. One, they understood non-believers don't go to church. They don't go to church. So if your evangelism is just one Sunday night a month where you, 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 you talk about the gospel a little bit on a Sunday night and that's it, that's not evangelism. You're fishing in your bathtub. You're not going to catch anything but the rubber ducky your son left there the other day. We have to go where the fish are, where the people are. And non-believers don't go to church. That's why the early church, why were they effective? They were in the marketplace. They were in the country. They were in the cities. They were gathered where the people had gathered. Number two, case for soul winning. 
So number one is non-believers don't go to church. Number two, our commission is to preach the gospel to every creature that we've established. And number three, since unbelievers don't go to church, the early church understood this. Since unbelievers don't go to church, we as Christians must take the gospel to them wherever they may be. And we must become innovative, creative, and diligent in applying God-given strategies to reach in our cities for Jesus Christ. Listen to this, Acts 2.47. And the Lord was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. That means they had a daily approach to sowing. They had like a daily, daily quota. You know, your boss, if you're in sales, says today we have to sell three cars or two cell phones or whatever. The Bible says the early church, there was a there was like a daily quota. Daily, God was adding to the church. They almost had like a good holy competition with it. You know, I'm sure Peter and John were like, let's go out, let's see who can win more people to the Lord. We want to see this city shaken. And then John came back, he said, I've got eight. He said, Peter, I got, I've got 10. You know, he was the one that came to the to the, the tomb earlier and ran to the tomb. He was always trying to get there first. Peter was always, he's a very competitive guy. I'm sure maybe they had some holy competition. Like, for, obviously the, the motive was love and getting people saved. But who knows? The Bible says daily, though, there was an activity that they engaged in to win souls. Acts 5.14, and the believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So increasingly, meaning I'm sure if they saw, man, we're not seeing as many people saved this week than we, we saw last week, they upped their efforts to see more people saved. Acts 5.28, and look, the, the, the Sanhedrin said, you have filled the whole of Jerusalem with your doctrine. They weren't a quiet, shy bunch. They, they were in, intentional in what they were doing. People say, you Christians are brainwashed. Yeah, absolutely we are. The Bible says we are washed by the water of the word. It washes our brains. And then we're to use the same word to wash our society, to fill the whole of society with the word of God so we can implement the change. Acts 4.20, the disciples said, we cannot but speak those things which we have seen and heard. We can't but speak like Jeremiah. It's like a, sh a fire shut up in my bones. I can't sit back. I see someone at a grocery store. I see they're broken and bruised. The Holy Spirit says, go and minister. I can't sit back. I have to tell the people. Dag Heward Mills, a great evangelist, wrote a book, 120 Reasons Why You Should Tell Them. Go and tell them. There's a, I, I wrote five reasons on Tuesday's broadcast, but there's so many more reasons. There's a real hell to shun. There's a real heaven to gain. There's a real... Uh, uh, there's a real... A real hell to, to, to shun. We cannot but speak those things which we have seen and heard. Acts 5.42, and daily in the temple in every house, we did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were in the homes. You know, that family, uh, I'm just going to pray that they come to church next week. And The early church wasn't praying for families to come to church. The early church was going to the house. And making sure they, they got the gospel and ministered to the people. They weren't saying, Father, we pray that by your angels you would send people. That's the lazy man's prayer. And a lot of people hide behind prayer to avoid the work of evangelism. We pray and we preach. A, a lot of times evangelism, evangelism has been watered down from go and tell to pray that they come. And there's a lot of churches, that's, what, that's the only evangelism they, evangelism they have. We, do, we ask you to go and invite people to come to church. And people are only trained to do what? Hey, you want to come to church? You want to come to church? Inviting people to church is not a substitute for evangelism. 
Now, it's a good thing to do and you should continue to do it. However, you yourself need to be thoroughly equipped to bring the gospel to people. You're not outsourcing that work to your pastor only. You know, if I can just get them to hear pastor this and that or evangelism and that, they'll get saved. You know, I'm just going to pray that God sends those people for a revival week in our church. And they'll, they'll never get saved thinking like that. The rapture can happen tomorrow and then what happens then? You yourself have to be adequately trained to carry the message. Not to contract the work to your pastor or to an evangelist, but you yourself. Philip, Philip was a deacon in the early church. And he went down to Samaria and preached Christ to the people. Stephen was a guy that served tables in Acts chapter 6. And in Acts chapter 6 verse 12, I think it is, the Bible says he was a man full of faith and power. And he did many signs amongst the people. So he wasn't saying, hey, let me bring you to Peter. Peter knows what he's talking about. I really don't know much about this Jesus fella. He studied the word of God to show himself approved. He discovered the effective ways to minister to others. I'm sure he gleaned many of those things from Peter who had been with Christ. And then he went to work. And then God did extra extraordinary works through Stephen and through Philip daily in the temple and in every house so don't reduce the work of evangelism to simply an invitation to the church learn to invite people to Christ learn to present the gospel free of charge wherever you might be Acts 6 and I'm going to show you seven ways to do that today Acts 6 8 and Stephen full of faith and power did great signs and wonders among the people Acts 8 4 and the believers were scattered and they went everywhere preaching the word so here are seven biblical keys that will make you effective in sharing Jesus and the gospel with others number one study the gospels number one key to becoming a better uh, evangelist or a better uh, sharer of the gospel of Christ is to study the gospels get acclimated with how Jesus interacted with people study how Jesus did things Jesus was the greatest soul winner to ever walk the face of the earth Jesus wasn't a, he, he, he I mean he was God in flesh so he knew what he was doing and he engaged in soul winning not only to the masses but to the woman at the well he spoke to her he 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 uh by the word of knowledge, showed God's power to her so that she said, man, this guy's not normal. Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Oh, much more than a prophet, I'm the Messiah, the one who's come to the earth. And then she went, just through that one encounter with Jesus at the well, she went and told her entire village who ended up coming to hear Jesus, and then through that one encounter, the entire village was shaken by the power of God. That's an instance where Jesus was accepted but there were times Jesus was rejected. This is where a lot of people stumble. They say, well, I've preached before and, you know, the people, they didn't get saved. And so maybe I'm not cut out for the work. Jesus himself, the son of God, full of, full of the Holy Ghost, the anointed Christ, God in the flesh, the word of God made flesh, went to Nazareth and he preached there and they rejected him. He went to the Gadarenes in Mark chapter five and they, they begged him to leave their region. So if Jesus was resisted and rejected, there's a possibility you too are going to be resisted and rejected. Jesus actually said when someone resists you or rejects you, 
Realize that they're not rejecting you. They're actually rejecting I who sent you. So don't take it personally. Look, if you're going to be effective at preaching the gospel, you got to turn to rubber. You got to stop being a, a, an emotional mess with every. I can't believe they said that. You have to turn to rubber. You got to let the things bounce right off you and back onto them. Jesus said when they reject you and they say all kinds of evil things falsely against you for my sake, you're to wipe the dust off your feet go to the next town don't waste your time trying to convince people who will not be convinced move on to the next there's far too many people who have not heard the gospel once for you to preoccupy yourself with someone who keeps on hearing the gospel on a regular basis and yet is unmoved you preach you've sowed the seed now pray that God waters the seed pray that God sends others to water the seed and pray that God brings an increase to that seed but ultimately your responsibility is not to save people. Your responsibility is to preach the gospel for them to be saved. Someone just wrote in the comment section, even your family. Your family is a little different because they're your immediate surrounding. I mean, you don't, you, you can't move past them. But, uh, and so your family is a little different. But when it comes to people like, you know, people at work or people, uh, people that uh, you cross in a street or in a restaurant or whatever, or someone you might see on a less regular basis, but still on a regular basis, but not as regular as your family, stop. I mean, some people, they've until I get them saved, I'm not moving on to... That's a, a foolish way to think of things. You should do your, your duty and your responsibility in presenting the gospel free of charge to the one. But even Jesus said, if they don't receive you, I mean, even with your family, Jesus didn't waste his time he didn't waste his time constantly uh, uh, trying to persuade his brothers, look, I'm the Christ, I'm the Christ. You know what he did? You know what? After he, he shared that he was the Christ in his hometown in Nazareth, he shared about his mission. You know what he did after that? He went out and started healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils. He started to live a supernatural life, and that was more of a persuasion to his immediate family than anything else because at first his immediate family rejected him. The Bible says they came and saw where he was at and they said he has lost his mind. He is, he's gone ludicrous. But then you go on down in the Gospels, the same family came to him and the Bible says they were trying to reach him and there was no room not even to greet him at the door. And so people came to him and says, your family's waiting outside to see you. And he says, who's my family? So the same people that rejected him, when he started to see results, when they started to see the supernatural power of God at work in his ministry, in his life, then they started to change their tune in reference to him. And they came to see him. So the greatest, I'm telling you, you preach, you tell your family, you be consistent with it. But if they reject you, you know, you have some father that just, I won't have it. I'm telling you, one of the greatest tools, and I'm going to get into it afterwards, is the supernatural flow of God's power in your life. Supernatural testimonies that will happen as you serve God. Things that even the heathen, even the unbeliever has to scratch his head and wonder. I, 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 I have no rational explanation for this. And God will do that for you. So study the Gospels. Many ask how they can increase the anointing. How do I increase the anointing? How do I get more anointed? Very easy. Hang around those that are anointed. And who was the most anointed? Jesus. And how do you hang around him? Study how he operated. Study how he flowed. Study how he worked. The problem isn't that you have no more need or need more of an anointing because the Bible says you have an anointing. So the, it's not about you needing more anointing. You can't have more of the Holy Spirit. You either have the Holy Spirit or you don't. 
It's that you need to learn how to release the anointing you already have. And the way you do that is by studying the Gospels. Acts 10, 38, Jesus Christ was anointed of the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with them. So you see how Jesus did things? You see how he laid hands on the sick? You see how he taught and preached and, and, and got the expectation of the people high? You see how the Bible says as he was teaching, the power of the Lord was present there to heal some? You see his tactics, Jesus didn't do things at random. He says, I only do what the Father shows me to do. So that means when you see what Jesus is doing, you know what the Father showed him to do. And if he showed him to do, he's showing you to do the same thing. Because as he is, so are we now in this world. And Jesus said in John 20, 20, John 20, 21, he said, as the Father has sent me, so now I send you. To do what? The same thing he sent me to do, I send you to do. So, so study how he operated. Number two, sorry, still on number one, study the book of Acts too. Not only the gospels, but the book of Acts. See how the early church conducted evangelism. See how the, what principles of evangelism were shared in the te New Testament. They're not antiquated. They're methods. Methods may change throughout history, but the principles stay the same. You know, Finney, Charles Finney ministered differently from Jonathan Edwards, but they were both effective. Evan Roberts ministered differently from Billy Sunday, but they were both effective. Smith Wigglesworth ministered very differently from T.L. Osborne. Smith Wigglesworth would punch people and they'd get healed. T.L. Osborne would just have them take the right hand and lay it wherever they were sick and they would get healed. They all won souls effectively because they shared in the same principles and power discovered in the word of God. 1 Corinthians 12, there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same spirit. There are diversities of ministries, but it's the same Lord. There are diversities of operations, how people operate, but it's the same God who worketh all these things individually as he wills. The manifestation of the, of the spirit is given to all for the profit of all, or given to each one for the profit of all. So as you study, you know how Paul, read when Paul was preaching, Acts 17, Acts 19, you read how he delivered the gospel, you find, you find secrets in there and what made him effective. Number two, so number one is study the gospels in the book of Acts. Number two, know the, this is important, know the basic truths of the gospel. There's far too many Christians that ha are very ignorant to the basics of the gospel. They have no clue as to what the actual gospel is. Unfortunately for me to say this, there are many ministers that probably could not give you an accurate description of the gospel and its significance for humanity. Many people say like, you know, I have ministers. If you're, if you're in this church today and you feel lonely, I want to invite you to Jesus today. He's at, uh, just come to these altars and we're going to pray that uh, God comforts you. And that's not an altar call for salvation. That's not an invitation. That's not the gospel. The gospel isn't we were lonely and we needed companionship. The gospel isn't we, you know, we were unhappy and we needed to be made happy. The gospel is not we were, you know, we were going through a rough time, but God makes it a little easier through life. The gospel is we were dead in sin and sin, like a poison, had spread throughout the entire human race and all men had died, all men fallen short of the glory of God, and the only uh, 
response, or not the response, the only thing that could have alleviated us from that sin because of the justice of God is the death of a pure and spotless Lamb of God. Sin demanded a penalty. The wages of sin is death. So it was either our eternal death or it was God sending his son to die a sinner's death so that we can inherit the king's life and that now we can be, we can be, uh, the Bible says temples of the Holy Spirit, have our sins forgiven and now the life of God living on the inside of us. Many preachers can't even tell you that. The Bible says in Philemon verse 6 that the sharing of your faith will become effective through the acknowledgement of every good thing that is in Jesus Christ. So you become effective in sharing your faith when you start to acknowledge every good thing in Christ Jesus. So the basic of the gospel. The basics of the gospel. Adam sinned. Sin entered the human race. So you can't tell people they need, they, have, they need a savior until you first show them that they're dead in sin. Charles Spurgeon used to say, we kill and make alive. G- Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 that the letter killeth and it's the spirit that brings a life. That's why the law has come. The law, is a, it served its purpose in that it confines all under sin. It shows us that we've all fallen short of the standards of God. So you need to understand this if you're going to be effective in, in bringing people to Christ. Because listen to this, God can only confirm his gospel. He can't confirm your version of the gospel. He can only confirm his gospel. And so, when you don't know what the gospel is, God's got nothing to confirm. Nobody's going to get saved. So you have to show people. You know, there's this uh, one evangelist, I I forget his name, but he literally asked people, because people say, well, I'm a good person. How could God reject me? He says, have you ever stolen anything? Even a penny? No. Well, have you ever lied? Well, yes, I've lied. Okay, well, have you ever, have you ever gotten angry? Oh, yeah, I've gotten angry. Then he goes on and he says, well, Jesus said, if you're angry, you've committed murder. And Jesus says, if you lied, you're a liar. And then James says that if you've broken one, of the things in the, one of the laws, that you're guilty of the whole thing. So according to the law, you're a liar, you're a lying, angry murderer. <laughs> and then it shows people, that's what the purpose of the law was. We're not good, in our, there's no goodness in us. There's no goodness in us. The Bible says that uh, all of our good works, all of our good deeds, the, the, the Ray Comfort, that's right, the, 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 the accumulation of every good thing the human race has ever done, all our charitable deeds, all of our donations, all of our, our excellent works combined, the Bible says is like filthy rags in God's, in God's sight. If good works could get us to heaven, Jesus would have never come. Galatians 3 literally says, a man is not justified by the works of the law or the works that he does, but by faith in Christ Jesus. So that's why we bring people to a point where, and that's what the the, the gospel does. When you talk about the sin part, it brings people to a realization, I'm depraved without Christ. I need a savior. So you talk about the sin problem. 
And then you bring the solution. See, when Apple does a keynote every year, they, they bring out uh, an executive or whatever to uh, unravel or reveal the next iPhone. They don't bring in some low-level Apple employee who doesn't know what he's talking about. They bring in somebody who has discussed with the scientists that were behind the, af- the iPhone, who, who have handled the iPhone, who have built the iPhone, who know the, all the intricacies of the iPhone, and they have informed them, have masterfully trained them, and they themselves have had hours of training on the iPhone so that when they appear before the crowd, they're not ignorant. Well, I just don't know what I would say. If you don't know what you, you would say, if you actually open your mouth to tell someone about Jesus, that means you're a workman who's going to be ashamed. That means you haven't studied the word of the law, uh, the word of God, to show yourself approved. So what's the, what's the cure to that? Get in the word. Hide his word in your heart. The Bible says, eat it up. Job said, I have longed for thy word more than necessary food. The Apple, impo- the Apple guy that does the keynote, he comes out, he knows the product. And he's masterful at explaining it and at making it appealing. He knows the hardware. He knows the software. He knows the ins and the outs of the whole thing. The Bible says all scripture is God-breathed, inspired, and profitable for teaching, instruction, rebuke, exhortation, that the man of God may be complete. And we get this, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Your knowledge of the new covenant and its promises And every, like Philemon 6 says, every good thing that is in Christ Jesus, your knowledge of that is going to make you thoroughly equipped for the good work of reconciling the world to Christ. Evangelism is very simple. if, If all you get out of this broadcast today, get these three things. Evangelism made simple. One, identify the point of need in the one you're speaking to. Two, reveal to them that the source of pain or lack, or the need that they're facing, the source of it all, the reason it's in this world, is because of sin, original sin. As I said before, you cannot generate a desire in others for a savior unless you first show them and make them to understand their depravity is sin-caused. Their problems are sin-caused. And then number three, after you've showed them the problem of sin, reveal to them from the life of Jesus how God supplied provision for that need through Christ. Hallelujah. So here are some general problems people face. I'm depressed. Don't just say, hey, you know, things will get better. Someone that doesn't know Jesus says, I'm depressed. Tell them, Jesus came to make life abundant for you. Jesus came and he said, ask that you might receive so that your joy may be made full. The Bible says in 1 Peter 1.8, Jesus, whom you've not seen, you love, and though you don't see him, yet believing, faith in Christ does this. You'll rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Nehemiah 8.10, God says, so someone says, I'm depressed. Tell them, Nehemiah 8.10, God says, don't sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So you, you point them to, to the provision that God made for their depression in Christ Jesus. He said, I'll keep 
In perfect peace, those whose eyes are stayed on me. Someone comes to you with anxiety. I'm anxious. I got panic attacks. Tell them, Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives do I give. Therefore, let not your heart be troubled. Your troubled heart can be totally stilled by the presence of Jesus Christ. He said, I am the peace of the Prince of Peace. The Bible says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will rest on his shoulders. His name is called Wonderful. His name is Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father father and prince of peace you know it says his name is counselor if someone comes to you and says i don't know what to do in life i have a lack of direction i feel lost in life i feel deprived of direction and guidance you tell him jesus is the counselor of man he'll show you his word is a lamp unto your feet a light to your path all of a sudden they sense their depravity but then they realize provision has been met through the death burial resurrection of jesus christ and that they now have access to that same god and father For those provisions, Jesus said, if you're anxious, come to me, all that are weary and heavy laden. Get these scriptures in your heart so that when someone comes to you and starts to unravel all their dirty laundry, you're not there saying, I keep you in prayer. That's nothing. Tell them what the word says about their situation, and it'll incite in them a desire to connect their hands with Jesus for for their solution. Someone comes to you and says, I'm lonely, I'm alone, I feel rejected and dejected. Tell them, Jesus said, I'm with you always. If you'll come to Christ, he said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Fear not, he said, I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will be with you, I will help you. I will lift you up with my right hand of righteousness. Isaiah 43 says, even if you go through the fire, I will be with you and you won't burn. If you go through waters, you won't drown. If you go through rivers, they won't overflow you. His name, for goodness sakes, is Emmanuel, God with us. So now you've just fulfilled that void that they had. And you show them the only way out is Jesus. You have someone that's sick in their body. Tell them he came to bear our sicknesses and our diseases. And that by his stripes you are healed. This is what caused me to have crazy, unprecedented zeal for God. He healed me of an incurable disorder. He healed me. And, you know, Jesus always met the people's physical needs before he moved on to touch on their spiritual needs. That's why I'm talking about this. These needs that people have are literally the connection point that's going to that's gonna bring them to companionship with heaven. It's what, it's what it, that's what it did for me. Jesus always ministered to the physical and material needs of the people so as to open up their hearts to receive the gift of life. It's what caused this zeal I have in my heart for God, this diligence, this thing that I will will die for the gospel. I'm going to endure to the end. This love that I have for God that's shed abroad. You know, the Bible says we love because he first loved us. And God demonstrates his love, yes, by forgiving us of sin and mercy, but Other expressions of his love is he healed the sick. He cast out demons. He broke burdens off people's lives. He shattered the chains of hell that had gripped them and and laid them low in life. So if someone's sick, John 5, Jesus came to a man at the well who had been there for many years in that condition. He said, do you want to be made well? Tell the people, do you want to be made well? I can minister resurrection life to you right now. But you need to come to Jesus. Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from all the curse of the law. Anything you can find in the curse of the law is what sin brought on the human race. And you can, you can show that Jesus Christ redeemed us from all of those things. All of those points. 
Someone has financial disaster, tell them, the Lord, when he's your shepherd, you will not lack. He'll take good care of you. He'll care for you financially. He'll, make, he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. David said, I've been young and I'm old. I've never seen the righteous forsaken, neither his children begging for bread. God will take good care of you. Like the widow that was down to, she had no more, she had no more food. And the creditors were coming to take away her children. She had insurmountable debt. And she came to Elisha and said, what am I to do? You know that my husband served you faithfully. Elisha said, what do you have in your house? And through that one miracle of provision, she sold the oil that she began to pour out in faith. She sold the, sold the oil, and the Bible says it was enough to pay off her debt and for her and her sons to live off the rest. He, he bears the burdens of the people, including financial burdens. Luke 5, Peter had fished all night, caught nothing. Jesus said, let down your nets in the deep. For a catch. Peter said, hey, I'm not, I, I've been fishing all night and I, I, I've not been able to catch anything, but at your word, I'll do it. They went, they did it. And what was the reaction of Peter? He fell to his knees. You think a financial miracle can't bring someone to their knees? Look at Peter. That's the very reason he served Jesus to the end. He fell to his knees and said, son of God, I'm dirty. What, we shouldn't be here together, pretty much. He felt so dirty and, and out of place in the presence of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lifted him up and he said, now I'm going to make you a fisher of men. It was a financial miracle that did that. So whatever people are going through, point them that Jesus, to, the, to where Jesus supplied that need. Number three. So number, number one, key to effective evangelism is study the Gospels and the book of Acts. Find out what, What's in our covenant, this new covenant? If you want to be masterful at delivering something, you need to know the product. Number two, know the basic truths of the gospel. Number three, know your testimony. This is huge. I want to be get, I'm going to get very practical in these next two. Know your testimony. Write down your testimony. Study it. Memorize it. Be skillful in delivering your testimony. What's your testimony? It's telling people how Jesus affected your life. The Gadarene demoniac, look at the power of a testimony. He gets delivered of 2,000 odd demons. He's sitting there clothed in his right mind. He says, Jesus, I want to come and follow you. Jesus says, no, go into the city of Decapolis and tell them what great things I've done for you and how I've had compassion on you. He said, go and tell them your testimony. He went and shook that city. The woman at the well, I brought her up before. Samaritan woman brought her one testimony. Just simple. And you know what the, beauty, the beautiful thing about a testimony is you can't get it wrong. It's your testimony. If anyone ever says you're telling it wrong, you say, well, you weren't there, I was. It's your testimony. So the woman at the well brought, brought her testimony to that Samaritan village and it shook the entire village. One woman's testimony. Hear this. Pay special attention to what, attention to what I'm about to say. Your testimony is the key that is going to unlock the goodness of God in others. Your testimony is a key that will unlock the goodness of God in others. John's testimony of Christ, when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of this world. That one testimony that he declared in the presence of other people, what happened? It brought Andrew, who was Peter's brother, to Christ. And then Andrew brought Peter, and then they went and got Philip, and then Philip went and got Nathaniel. You have four or five people saved in one, just because of one person saying the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of this world. Everywhere Paul preached, he talked about his encounter with the Lord. Never forget 
Don't have spiritual Alzheimer's. Never forget your encounter with God. I love this old song by G.E. Patterson. He used to sing, Jesus, I'll never forget what you've done for me. Jesus, I'll never forget how you set me free. Jesus, I'll never forget how you brought me out. Jesus, I'll never forget. No, never Hallelujah. I love singing that song. It brings joy to me because when I begin to think about what he's done for me, it makes me want to shout. It, it puts a boldness in me. Paul, that's why he started with his testimony. If he didn't feel bold, he started to talk about his encounter with the Lord and boldness came because he realized what God did for me, he can do for you. I don't care if you're the most wretched, depraved thing. I don't care if you are the sinner of sinners, the chief of sinners. I don't care how far gone you've, you've gone. I don't care what you done. I don't care where you've been. Paul knew that if Christ can come and take me who was in the pits of hell, in the clutch of sin, in the deepest of pits, and lift me out and set me on a rock of Christ to stay, then he can do it for you. That's right, Natasha. Old Testament oftentimes says, they're saying they forgot what God did for them. And that's what led, led them astray. Don't forget what God did for you. Keep it. You know, the Bible says from day to day, I will proclaim the good news of his salvation. Use your testimony as a tool for evangelism. I tell people everywhere I go how Jesus delivered me of OCD. And you know what happens? Because I, God, people see that what God did in me, I see people everywhere I go delivered of OCD. Everywhere I go, without exception. The Bible says in Revelation 19.10, the, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So when you're testifying of what Jesus did for you, it's like you're releasing a prophetic statement on other people of what God will do for them. When you testify as to what Jesus did in your life, it acts as a prophecy to what he'll do in their life if they'll, if they'll, if they'll connect. Your testimony is a key that'll unlock God's power in others. A testimony, this is the usefulness of a testimony. It'll take what one person thought was a fairy tale storybook written thousands of years ago, into a living reality because it shows people that the God of the Bible is the God of today, that he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Testimony can open up a person's heart so that the seed of the word can get in on, on, on the ground, on fertile ground. A lot of people have hard hearts. A lot of people, don't, they don't have hearts to receive the seed of the word. They're the wayside. So what the testimony will do is it'll actually convert the wayside soil of someone's heart into a fertile soil so that when you sow the seed which James 1 says the seed implanted it will produce salvation for their souls Richard said I got two decisions for Christ this year by using my testimony that's how easy it is when I preach I make it a point to tell stories of what God has done in me and in others because it snaps people out of the delirium that the Bible is just a fantasy. It shows people that we serve a living God that is accessible and uh, open to doing the same thing for them. Number four, practical key to effective soul winning. Hang around soul winners. This is huge. Don't hang around people that have no desire to see people saved. Because their apathy is contagious and it will bleed into your life. You are the product of your five closest friends, whether you know that or not. Your closest associates in life should have a similar zeal that you want to have for the Lord. You, you can't hang around chickens and end up a lion. You got to associate with lions 
if you want to learn to be a lion. Don't make it a habit to hang around people who have no desire to people, people save. The Bible says, how can two walk hand in hand unless they be agreed on the direction? Take an assessment of the people you're walking with in life today. Are you agreed on the direction? If not, cut your connection with them. Cut, cut off, cut off your, your association with them. Apathy is contagious. But zeal is also contagious. Look at what Jesus did to the disciples. His zeal, the Bible says, of speaking of Jesus in prophecy, the zeal of the Lord has consumed him. Because he went out into the temple and he drove out the money changers. The zeal of God consumed Jesus. He said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his purpose. Well, then we see in Acts chapter 4, Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin. And they said, these men are uneducated, untrained men. But we recognize them as having been with Jesus because we perceive their boldness. The boldness they had to speak the word of the Lord, no matter the opposition. The boldness they had to be unashamed, unashamedly declaring the gospel message. The boldness they had when they spoke the word came on them through their association with Jesus. Mark 3, which I'll say, when I say don't hang around people that aren't interested in winning souls and be, monitor your, your closest associations, I'm talking about yes, uh, your, your earthly friends and your earthly environment. But before I even get to that, you have to spend time with Jesus. He's the greatest soul winner. So when you look, spend time with Jesus, he'll actually impart into you that same boldness he did for Peter and John to be effective in declaring the word, to not stop but speak, to, to speak all those things which you've seen and heard. Mark 3.14, the Bible says, Jesus called his disciples first to be with him so that he might send them out to preach and that they might cast out demons and heal the sick. But they had to first be with him. So in don't hang around people that have no... Point number four, hang around soul winners. Don't hang around people that have no desire to see people saved. One, hang around the greatest soul winner, being Jesus. And then two, hang around people on the earth that have a, a similar spirit to you. I don't have many close friends. And the close friends I have are all soul winners. They're all soul winners. The ministries I follow, the YouTube preaching I listen to are soul winners. Because you start listening to someone who just says, you know, how many of you know God's sovereignty is everything and when he desires to move in that person's life, he'll do it. It's nothing that we can do to add to it. They're dead. They're icicles. They're icicles. And like Lester Sumrall used to say, I'd rather be around strange fire than icicles. Because at least the strange ones, they've got some fire. Than, than the icicles that have no fire. Do not be deceived. 1 Corinthians 15.33 Bad company or evil company corrupts good character. What is in them will get into you. You hang around people that you know, it's not about what we do for him. It's about what he's done for us. Yes, we understand that in pertinence to our salvation. But after you're saved, the Bible says we'll be judged according to our works. That type of person, they've become lackadaisical, totally indifferent. And their indifference is going to influence your spirit. It's going to cause you to have a weak spirit. Romans 12 says, we are to not lag in diligence. Well, how do you not lag in diligence? By hanging around diligent people. 
We're to be fervent in spirit serving the Lord. How do you remain fervent in spirit? By hanging around people that have a fire in their belly that go around like Holy Ghost terrorists, destroying hell and establishing heaven's work in people. The Bible says, he that walks with the wise will be wise, but the companion of a fool will be destroyed. The Bible says, make no friendship with an angry man, lest you learn his ways. So your friends, as I said before, whether you know it or not, you're going to learn their ways and you're going to adopt their ways. Impartation is very real. You can have bad impartation and good impartation. You know who I choose to surround myself with? I, I listen to guys like R.W. Shambach. Why? Because the zeal that was in A.A. Allen to do crusades and get people saved was imparted into R.W. Shambach. And when you listen to his preaching, that same fire that dwelt in him gets into you. My mentor, Tiff Shuttlesworth, he studied very closely Billy Graham's ministry. And as a result, that same zeal for evangelism got into him. And now I sit under him, and that zeal's being passed on to me. Elisha caught what Elijah had, a double portion of it. You'll catch who you sit under. You'll catch the spirit of those whom you sit under. So if you want a lazy spirit, sit under people who have not won a soul in the last three decades. If you want to be somebody that everywhere you go, you're like a machine gun preacher getting people saved and highly effective for the kingdom of God. Hang around highly effective people. There's that book that they wrote, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People that's helped a lot of people. You know, you, you study their habits. You study, Paul said this, listen to this. It's a very interesting scripture. Paul said in 2 Timothy and chapter 3 verse 10, speaking to Timothy, you have carefully followed my doctrine my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, my persecutions, and my afflictions. You have carefully followed. That's how impartation happens. Everybody wants, oh, if I could just get, I wish I had had Reinhard Bonnke laid hands on me. Oh, I wish I had had Billy Graham laid hands on me. Oh, I wish I was in the day of Smith Wigglesworth where he could lay hands on me. Oh, I wish I can get Pastor this to lay hands on me and Evangelist that to lay hands on me. I could just get their spirit and get their mantle. I want his mantle. I want his mantle. You want to know the most effective way to get someone's mantle or whatever, to get someone's uh, a spirit, to get an impartation of what someone has? Sit under their preaching. Read their books. That's the most highly effective way study their habits like Paul told Timothy you've carefully followed my doctrine what I've said you've carefully followed my manner of life how I've lived how I conduct myself amongst you and when you carefully follow it you, what was in Paul got into Timothy what was in Elijah Elisha said I'll never leave you even if I'll leave you I'm sticking to you to the end and Elijah said what do we want from me he said a double portion he said it's a hard thing to ask but when I go I'll give it to you and that's what he got. And then he said, the spirit of Elijah doth rest upon Elisha. He caught it. Timothy caught what Paul had. Timothy caught what his grandmother and his mother had. You can read that in 2 Timothy 1. Bible says, uh, uh, the genuine faith that was in your mother and in your grandmother, I'm confident, is in you also. So listen to evangelists that preach on evangelism. You know, I said this on Tuesday, the gifting of the evangelist is twofold. One, to bring people to Christ, and then two, to stir up an evangelistic fervor in others. 
So when you sit, I'm an evangelist. When you sit under my uh, under our ministry, when you listen to me preach, that evangelistic fervor is going to be imparted into you. If you desire to rekindle evangelistic fervor or strengthen your ability in reaching the lost in yourself, have regular exposure to this gifting that God has gifted to the body of Christ. Hallelujah. I go to other evangelistic uh, evangelist meetings that are more effective than I am to sit under their gifting so I can get what's, what's in them, in me, so that I can learn specific things that they do. I study how Reinhard Bonnke preached. I study how evangelist Jonathan Shuttlesworth preaches because he's an amazing evangelist. I study how he preaches. I listen. I, I follow his manner of life. Why? Because the same God that worked effectively on his behalf, if all of, you know, methods are different. My method is different. But the principle and power is the same. We have several ministries start. We've had several ministries start as a result of this ministry, this broadcast. You can't sit under the teaching of this ministry and not catch a fire to win souls, cast devils out of people and heal the sick. Daghiord Mills in Africa, Ghana, a wonderful example of an evangelist. So number four, don't hang, hang around soul winners. Number five, see yourself as the extension of heaven to the earth. Your self-perception, perspective of who you are is very important to effective evangelism don't see yourself as some mediocre person that doesn't have much to offer do teal osborne used to say when he got up to preach and there was intimidating crowds or whatever he would think to himself i have what the people want and the people want what i have i have what the people want and the people have what I have. Whenever you're about to tell someone about Jesus and you feel there's like timidity or shyness in you, start to say that to yourself. I have what the people want and the people have what I, I, I have. People want what I have. I'm the body of Christ on the earth. I'm an extension of heaven on the earth. These hands are Jesus' hands to heal the sick. This mouth, his word is in it to proclaim liberty to the captives. These feet are Jesus' feet that'll go where he tells me to go. You have to see yourself as that. John G. Lake used to look at himself in the mirror and, he, and in his suit, he would say, Jesus lives in that suit. The Holy Spirit dwells in that suit. He's not an average person. He's anointed of heaven to get heaven's assignment done on the earth. Remind yourself, I'm born from above. I'm above all things. You're not some, you're not to be snobby and prideful and walk around like you're better than everyone else. However, the salvation of Jesus has put you on a higher playing field than unredeemed men. And so you should carry yourself like that. Not as snobby, pharisaical, thinking you're better than everyone else. But as God has, by his grace, made me to be who I am. And what you have, what you need is what I have. There's a lot of Christians that aren't convinced of that. I don't know if they'd hear what I have to say. You're not convinced. You're not convinced. I don't know what they'd think about me. I don't know. I don't know if they'd be interested in what I have to say. That that's a person who's not convinced. Humanity faces the same enemy, enemy, and God has provided the same remedy for all humanity. So don't let the devil dissuade you. From preaching to others because of that lie? Oh, I'm not, I don't know if they'll be interested. They'll be interested. Because there's no problem that has come on man that is uncommon to man. It's the same problem. It's sin. But God has been faithful to provide a way of escape for all. That way of escape is Jesus Christ. So see yourself. I am a, 
I am a custodian of that gospel message. I'm a carrier of the freedom and breakthrough people want. You have to see yourself. I'm as God's channel of expression on the earth. God expresses himself through me. The Bible says we are members of his body, of his bones, and of his flesh. The Bible says we are members of his body and members in particular. The Bible says this is a mystery that I'm telling you. It's Christ in you. Adopt the Christ in you mindset. Never leave home without the Christ in you mindset. Christ lives in me. I am the temple of the Holy Ghost. Where I go, Jesus goes. I am in the Father, Jesus said. And the Father is in me, and I am in you, and you are in me. He prayed in John 17, Father, that as I am in you, and you in me, that they may be one in us. You have to see yourself connected to Christ. And the same flow, resurrection life that was flowing in Jesus now flows in you to impact your world around you. I am. I want you to write this in the comment section. I am the hands and feet of Jesus on planet earth. I am the hands and feet of Jesus on the earth. Romans 6 says, present your body as being alive from the dead, presented to God. And the members of your body, your hands, your feet, your eyes, your, your ears, as instruments, weapons of righteousness for service to God. Don't present your hands, Paul says, as, as instruments for sin, but as weapons of righteousness for service to God. What is he saying? Those hands that used to roll joints, use them now to heal the sick. Because they've been registered in, heavens of, in heaven as weapons of mass destruction. To destroy sickness in others. Those eyes that used to look at all kinds of crazy things. Use them now to study the word. So you're better equipped to tell people about Christ. Those feet that used to bring you to all kinds of wicked places. Use them now to be obedient. To bring the gospel message to the far corners of the earth. Use the members of your body as weapons for God on the earth. Paul didn't think there's Jesus and then there's me. He said I and Christ are one. It's no longer I who lives. Christ now lives in me. These look like normal hands, but the resurrection life of God is in them. This looks like a normal mouth, but when I get up to speak in a, in a public setting or even one-on-one -on -one conversation with a barber, I was with a barber in Boston getting a haircut not too long ago, last year. And as I was getting my haircut, I just felt prompted by the Spirit to start ministering to the guy. I saw he had like a, a tattoo. I don't know if it was like a cross or something. I said, you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not a Christian. He said, you believe in God, obviously. Well, yeah, but I'm not a Christian. So I started to preach to him. And he got, it, Holy Ghost began to fall on him. He started to feel the fire of God. I'm, I'm talking about tearing as, I'm, as he's cutting my hair. And as I, because why? Because he said, I'll give you utterance at the opening of your mouth. People, too many people are saying, well, I don't know what to say. Because you've never opened your mouth. He said, open up your mouth and I'll fill it and I'll give you the words to say that's what happened by the end of the day we were in a back room I had his hands and I was praying for him he gave his life to Jesus that day and uh, I connected him to a local church and that was it I did my part hallelujah so see yourself where I go God goes what I touch God touches and whom I'm speaking to from the word of God God is speaking to Reinhard Bonnke, one of the very first times he got up to preach, he was very shy and timid, and he didn't know what to say. And the Holy Spirit thundered in his spirit. He said, Reinhardt, my word in my mouth 
is just as powerful as my word in your mouth. Your mouth has the word of Jesus in it. The same power that was released when he spoke it the first time is the same power that's released when you speak it again and again and again. It recreates body parts. It, it, it brings conviction to the sinner. It does the impossible. It redirects people to Christ. No wonder Paul was so bold to speak. I mean, as I opened up by saying in this point, you have to have a right self-image of yourself now that you've been saved and redeemed because it'll embolden you. No wonder Paul was so bold to speak. Look at how he saw himself. Philippians 3.20, I'm a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2, I'm seated in heavenly places far above principalities and powers. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who lives, but Christ lives in me. Paul said in Galatians 3.14, I'm the seed of Abraham and an heir of all God promised Abraham. Romans 8, he saw himself as joint heir with Christ Jesus. Colossians 2, he saw himself as connected to Christ and complete in him. And Colossians 1, he said, I'm delivered from darkness and enjoying kingdom freedom freedom so if you have thoughts of mediocrity you'll be mediocre and you'll breed mediocre results insecurity is like bad breath everybody knows you have it except for yourself you can preach a gospel with insecurity and have results the bible says with great boldness of speech so i spoke paul said that hallelujah the bible says the disciples spoke boldly in the name of the Lord, the Lord working with them, granting signs and wonders be done. Why did the Lord work with them? With them? Because they spoke boldly in the name of the Lord. As a man thinketh in himself, so is he. Flip, uh, Proverbs 23, 7. So if you think you don't got what it takes, you won't have what it takes. But if you think everything heaven has is in me, and the Bible says I'm more than able to do all things through Christ who gives me strength because of that glorious power that works in me, You'll see results. Number six, number six effective biblical key to evangelism is use the gifts of the Spirit. You need to learn to operate in the gifts of the Spirit. The Bible is very clear that the gifts of the Spirit are tools necessary for the accomplishing of the work of the Spirit, which is evangelism. God gave you gifts, working of miracles, gifts of healing, prophecy, uh, discerning of spirits, word of knowledge. He's given the church gifts for the profit of the church, for the edifying of the church, so that the church can excel. So you'll never excel at winning the loss if you don't have these tools, these essential tools. They are not optional tools. They're essential tools when it comes to soul winning. And you can look at all throughout the book of Acts, how Acts 3, Peter and John, see that man a cripple. They work a miracle. What happened? The crowds came. 2,000 people added to the Lord that day. If you want to be a little lawnmower soul winner, one here, one there, you know, every three years, then go ahead. Do it, you know, try it without the gifts. But if you want to be a combine harvester and one that's plowing the fields in an accelerated rapid rate with great growth, then you need the gifts of the Spirit. Evangelist Ted Shuttlesworth Sr. said, I was driving once uh, on a one-way street, or it was a two-way street, but I was driving on the one side, and I saw there was a man that was mowing this mass. He said, I saw this massive field, and he was just mowing his, his lawn. Or I, no, I don't know if he was mowing his lawn or if he was like, he had a, a sickle in his hand, and he was just gathering in some harvest or whatever. He was doing it the old-fashioned way. On his way back, he went on the other side of the road, and he looked out his 
on the other side, there was another farm, a great big farm, and there was this massive combine harvester that was just cultivating all, it was just bringing it all in at such, I mean, he was able to cover so much more area in that field every time he went back and forth. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and he said, that's how the gifts of the Spirit assist my church in bringing in the harvest. It allows you to do more. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 14, 24, and 25, if all prophesy and an unbeliever comes in. So if you're utilizing these gifts and an unbeliever comes in, this is what he'll be, his reaction will be. He'll be convinced by all. He'll be convicted by all. And thus the secrets of his heart will be revealed. He will fall down on his face. He will worship God and report that God is truly among you. Hallelujah. So the Bible doesn't say, there's a lot of people, we don't operate in the gifts here because we've seen more harm than good done by the gifts. They've never operated in the gifts efficiently and properly. You know, I can take a sword and use it to defend and help people or I can use it to kill people and murder people. It's still a sword. It has the power. You can use the gifts in a terrible fashion for selfish ambition and self-aggrandizement and the accolades of men and it will hurt people, of course. To be seen, you can, op you can think you're operating the gifts, but really it's just the flesh, and it's going to hurt people. But don't let a few knuckleheads throw out the, the actual substance of what God is doing and wants to do in His church. I've seen the gifts in, mis misused. But just because I've seen it misused doesn't mean I, I throw the baby out with the bathwater. I've learned to effectively operate in these gifts by studying and sitting under those that do operate in these gifts in a highly efficient manner. And because of that, I've seen its profitability in my own soul winning and evangelism. Bible says, when they see the gifts in operation, they'll fall down on their face and report God is truly among you. The Bible says, even so, if you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. So when your motives are right, you're seeking to edify the church, to build, to advance the, the mission of the church. These spiritual gifts will, will enable you to do that. The gifts were designed to bring explosive growth to the body of Christ. They're not reserved for the fivefold minister alone. They're for whosoever. Paul, isn't it funny? He opens up 1 Corinthians 12 by saying, concerning spiritual gifts, I would not have you ignorant. I would not have you ignorant. And isn't it funny? The very thing God says don't be ignorant on, the body of Christ goes and becomes the most ignorant on. And God can't bless ignorance. God can't bless stupidity. That's why these things don't flow in a lot of places. And this is why maybe these things aren't flowing in your own life. You're ignorant in how they're used. You can't just say, God, I want the gifts of healing. That's not how it works. First of all, there's people that say, you know, what's the greatest gift? Well, I think it's this. I think it's that. The greatest gift is the gift that you have need of in that moment when you're ministering to that specific individual. If someone is sick and needs healing, I don't need the discerning of spirits or, or, or that person is not going to be helped by a prophecy or a word of wisdom. That guy needs the gifts of healing flowing through me. So what do I do? How do I allow these gifts to operate in me? One, I sit under people that, that have the gifts operating in their life, the word of knowledge, and the, the ones that, I, you know, that are very useful for evangelism. Because tongues and interpretation of tongues ain't going to help you much for evangelism. 
But you sit under people that operate in those gifts. You study how they do it. How it flows. Two, you see how the word of God outlined how, you know, I talked about Peter and John, how he lifted the person up through the working of miracles. You see how Peter, through the word of knowledge, was able to uh, detect the lie of Ananias and Sapphira. And because of that one word of knowledge, the entire region fell under the fear of God. Acts 12, Acts 5, 12 through 15, Peter worked miracles and believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Acts 19, 11, the Bible says at Ephesus, God worked extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. And as a result, the entire city of Ephesus was shaken by the power of God. Acts 28, Paul goes into the island called Malta and through the gifts of healing, lays hands on the entire island and the Bible says they were all healed. He cleared sickness out of the island. And it piqued their curiosity to say, hey, what's your message? And then they believed on Christ. So you can either try to get this supernatural assignment done with natural methods and means or you, and suffer extreme frustration. Or you can subscribe and get on board with God's program and start utilizing these very gifts designed to bring supernatural increase to the church. And then I'm going to finish with this is be filled with the Spirit. Number seven. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be baptized in the Holy Ghost and fire. The very first thing that the Holy Spirit did at the day of Pentecost, after the tongues of fire were lit on them, was to enable Peter to give a message that led to the salvation of 3,000 people in one day. See, you can have all the right principles, but if you lack power, it ain't going to work. Acts 1.8, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in all the world. You'll be effective witnesses. You can't be an effective witness without the power. And you can't have the power until the Holy Ghost comes on you. Tarry in Jerusalem, Jesus said, until you receive power from on high. And then preaching in my name will be done through all nations. The Bible says the disciples in Acts 4, after they had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit the first time, they sought a second filling. And they said, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your servants may speak your word with all boldness. That power that comes on people's words is a byproduct of the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Because the Bible says when they were filled with the Spirit, the place where they had gathered was shaken, Acts 4.31, and they began to speak the word with all boldness and power. Jesus' words were loaded with power. Luke 4, it says that. They were all, the Bible says when he spoke, they were all their eyes were all fixed on him. And they marveled at the gracious words that came out of his mouth. The Bible says of Paul, he says that the Holy Spirit would give me utterance at the opening of my mouth. Scripture says in Isaiah 50 and verse 4, that God will give you the tongue of the learned to speak a word in season to him that is weary, to strengthen the weary. The power that, I mean, you, you can tell between two ministers, one who has power and one who has no power within the first minute of their speaking. It has nothing to do with their eloquence of speech. Paul said, I didn't come with eloquence of speech or persuasive words of human wisdom. I wasn't trying to manipulate you through the gift of gab. I came in weakness and my preaching was not special, but it was in the demonstration of the Spirit. And the power of God. In mighty signs and wonders, Paul said, I have preached the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 15, 19. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5. For my gospel did not come to you in word, but in power 
and in the Holy Spirit. And then he says, and you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Paul's life, because of the baptism in the Holy Spirit, exemplified a supernatural lifestyle to others. And it served as an evangelistic tools. The fire of God is the critical component to successful evangelism. Exodus 3, Paul sees, uh, Moses sees a fire, scratches his head, and he said, I will go and see what it is. You know that that fire, the all-consuming fire of God, that fire is in you now? And if you're not baptized in fire, it can be in you now? What did that fire do for Moses? It got him to turn aside and see. It piqued his curiosity. It showed him this wasn't a natural thing. That, that Christianity is not bunched in with all the other religions of this world. That Jesus is not a God amongst gods. It shows people that he is the way, the truth, and the life. The supernatural is the distinctive marker of Christianity. Paul said it was in mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Holy Spirit that successfully convinced you. He said, I came in the demonstration of the Spirit so that your faith would not rely on the wisdom of people and on religious systems, but in the power of God. He said, My, the kingdom of God is not in word only, but in power. What separated the early church from the Jews of that day? What made the message of Jesus such a, a controversial thing? What got even the Sanhedrin to say, there's nothing that can be done with these people? Because indeed, a notable miracle has been done in the sight of them all. It was God's power at work in them. Even the gifts of the Spirit. It's the baptism in the Holy Spirit that is the enrollment into the school of the Spirit where you now operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Without the baptism in the Spirit, these gifts will never operate in your life. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, don't even try to do any work of evangelism until you are clothed with power from on high. Why was the early church so successful? Because the Bible says with great power they gave witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the origin of that power was the Holy Ghost and fire. Jesus said, I'm come to baptize you in the Holy Ghost and fire. John baptized in water. Many of you are baptized in water. But there's a second baptizer. Not just John the Baptist. There's Jesus the Baptist. The only difference is the stuff in which you're being baptized in. John baptized in water. Jesus said, I am baptizing you in the Holy Ghost and in fire. That word baptizo from the Greek, it literally means to immerse until. They used to use it for clothing and dyeing clothing and, and colors and clothing. And so what they would do is they'd take the garment and they would baptizo it into the dye, the color, until the garment took on the very nature of the dye and the dye got onto the garment so that it was permanent. And then Jesus, the Bible says, will baptize you, baptizo you in the Holy Ghost and fire. The same thing, He's that same picture of Jesus taking you and immersing you into the nature of the Holy Spirit until the very nature gets on you, until the very boldness comes on you, until the shyness and the apathy and the indifference and all of that burns off of, off of you and the nature of Christ that said, I must work the work of him who sent me while it is yet day, the work of evangelism, that stuff comes on you. 
That's right, AJ. AJ said, have you received the Holy Ghost? Acts 19, Paul goes to Ephesus and he finds believers there. And he, the very first thing he asked them was, and they were only 12. And no wonder they stayed 12. There was no growth in that Ephesian church at that time. They, 12 got saved and that was it. So Paul obviously was scratching his head. Hey, hey, have you guys received the Holy Ghost since you believe? It's not normal for you to stay 12 this long. You're lacking something that I got and the guys at Jerusalem got. Have you received the Holy Ghost? No, we never heard that there was a Holy Spirit. Well, no wonder. And he laid hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. The result, within two years, all who dwelt in Asia had heard of Jesus Christ. That fire is coming on you right now in Jesus' mighty name. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet, holy fire is being transmitted through your entire being in Jesus' name. I feel it. I feel it right now. Some of you might be feeling like shaking coming on you. That's just the baptism in the Holy Ghost. I want you to open up your mouth and speak. And speak and you'll find that there will be utterance. An unknown tongue will flow from within you. And you know a lot of people all they talk about when they speak on the spirit. Is just tongues, tongues, tongues. Tongues is great. And, and, and you will speak in tongues when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. However if all you've got is tongues you don't got much. The tongue should produce just like in the day of Pentecost. It started out with tongues. Unknown tongues. But then that unknown tongue empowered him to speak in a known tongue to deliver the gospel. And that's what you're going to have. There will be a notable difference on your life from this day forward in your delivery of the gospel message. When you speak, people will hear in Jesus' name. Just like when Jesus spoke, the people, the common folk, were gravitating towards his message. People will gravitate. Your words will be like magnets to Christ in Jesus' mighty name. You'll notice a notable difference on your words. There will be a weight of God's power. Power. There will be grace on your words. There will be an impartation of grace from your words from this moment onward. In Jesus' mighty name. Hallelujah. Be filled with the Holy Ghost right now. Jesus said, I have come. Luke 12, 49. I have come to set fire on the earth. The original Greek literally means I've come to cast fire on the earth. And how I would that it were already kindled. He's the baptizer in fire. Receive the fire of God that will never grow dim again in your life. Ephesians, Jesus in Revelation 2, the Ephesians church, he spoke, you've left your first love. The fire will rekindle the first love. Many of you started off good. You were like preaching addicts, a soul winning addict. addict. You, everywhere you went, you told people about Jesus. But that first love has dwindled until it's just some embers. The Bible says the voice of the Lord kindles the coals of fire. Those dimming coals that are growing cold are being rekindled afresh and anew right now. I see the Holy Ghost taking one stick to, to stoke the fires on your altar right now in Jesus' name. You will be fervent in spirit from today onward. You will serve the Lord with zeal for his house in Jesus' mighty name. You'll not fall victim to the enemies of evangelism. You'll not fall victim to procrastination, which is the greatest enemy of evangelism. You will run through the harvest fields and not grow weary. In Jesus' name.
If you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus, you need to do that right now. If you have given your life to Jesus, but today you, you realize when I said that word, you've left your first love and you want to come back to Christ. You want to rededicate your life to Jesus. You want to say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I refuse to stay spiritually lazy another day in my life. I know that you've called me. And today I'm putting my hand to the plow and I'm not looking in another direction. I want you if you're rededicating your life to Christ, or maybe you've never given your life to Jesus, but you want to do so right now, I want you to pray this with me. Say this from the bottom of your heart. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe you raised Jesus from the dead. I confess Jesus is my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. Wash me clean. Where I was weak, make me strong. Fill me with the Holy Spirit. Turn my life around. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. And I'll never turn away. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer, I want you to go on my website, salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up on the page is, I just got saved. You have to click that link. It'll pull you to a page where there's going to be a form. I want you to fill that form out. We're never going to harass you for anything, for money or whatever. It's literally just because I want to get your, your coordinates so I can send you, uh, I can send you a, a package free of charge. It's not a bomb. It's nothing harmful. It's a Bible. It's a spiritual bomb. <laughs> it's a Bible with some reading material that's going to greatly help you in this new walk with Christ. And... Um, and a few other things. So I want to get that to you. It's free of charge. I pay shipping. I pay handling. It's just a gift from me to you to welcome you into the body of Christ. And so please do that. SalvationNow.ca. I just got saved. I look forward to hearing from you. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.SalvationNow.ca. God bless you. And until next time.